toss and turn Candlesticks in the dark Visions of bodies being burned Four walls just staring at her. I'm paranoid sleeping with my finger on the trigger My mother's always dressing I ain't living right But I ain't going out without a fight See every time my eyes close I start sweating And blood starts coming out my nose It's somebody watching the act but I don't know who it is, so I'm watching my Podcast Network listeners. Welcome inside the Wrestling Warzone, a Monday Wars podcast retrospective series. I'm JT. Joining me, as ever, is my partner, Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Jamming some yacht rock. Look at you, stepping it up. I, that tweet made me smile. Because for years, you've been so anti-yacht rock. Yeah, I think, old. It, uh, I think it took me getting divorced to appreciate some kind of soothing, uh, you know, not not the most uh, lyrically advanced, but just something you can kind of turn your mind off on. Um, yeah. What are your favorites right now? Uh, Todd Todd Rudgeton, I guess, or how do you pronounce Rundgren? Yeah, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> Still learning. But he... Uh, like I, I love like Hello It's Me and mm-hmm. I Saw the Light. Like those have been in heavy rotation. Uh, I've always liked Steely Dan, but had mostly only known like Peg and Reeling in the Years, so mm-hmm. kind of dirty work. So kind of expanded that. Um, and then I don't know, like, so how far do you dwell of like Peter Gabriel? Would you no. consider that now? Okay, so that's. So there's a, there's a couple schools of this, right? There's a Yacht Rock Twitter account that is, like, the original Yacht Rock, like, genre police. Like, they, they did, like, a radio show that was, like, syndicated on a couple stations, and they have, like, a master list. It's out there on a website. It's, like, a master list that rates them from, like, pure Yacht Rock to Yacht Rock, <laughs> which is, like, not, not at all. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, like, a scale. It has, like, the very Yacht Rock, and then stuff like you just said like peter gabriel uh steve winwood you know like that's not really yeah. out rock like but some some people call that the serious channel is a little more liberal like they'll play stuff like like carol king and shit that's like not really you know yacht rock um then there's yacht rock review who's the band the cover band that has their own songs but also covers a ton of yacht rock songs and they travel so they've kind of been at like a little sometimes they'll go head to head with the other yacht rock djs um, the Yarky DJs do not like the serious programmers. Like that's a war. So there's a lot out there. Um, the Yarrock review is awesome, and I thought I saw. I'm looking at the page now. I could have swore they said they were going to Atlanta soon. So you should just go see it because it's a really good show. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say like the purest Yarrock is like Steely Dan, uh, Rafferty. Yeah, like I'm still um, not Loggins. on the uh, I'm still not on the Hall and Oates bandwagon. I think that was part of my uh, aversion is I've just I've just never gotten into them. So, so if you go to I think it's yacht or yacht dot com and it's <laughs> yacht or and then n y a c h t dot com and you can search by artist a title it goes from a, a score of a hundred to like a score of zero. So, a hundred, like the most yacht rock song they have, is only one one hundred, and it's "What a Fool Believes" by the Doobie Brothers. Oh, there we go. And then Loggins, Michael McDonald, yeah, Toto, uh, Christopher Cross, like obviously okay. he's a one. Al Giroux, like these are all in the '90s. Pablo Cruz, um, a lot of Steely Dan, like all the Steely Dan's like '90s scores. Um, Boz Gags, he's a big one. Yeah, I mean those are the kind of deeper cuts. Yeah, 
Yeah, if you check it out, you can you can scroll through. But then if you go all the way to the other end, like Winwood is down in the twenties, Jefferson Starship, the Eagles. Um, I will say that Sirius Channel plays a lot of uh, Fleetwood Mac, like they're mm. on there. Um, yeah, like so. This if you looked at this not not rock list at the bottom. There's a lot of songs that are on the Sirius channel, and they consider them to be not not Yacht Rock on this site. So, <laughs> the whole wow. thing. I'm glad well, you're just glad you're uh, just just uh, want to thank or wasting our lives uh, talking about a pay per view that was what 26 years ago. Now I know that there's other people equally wasting their lives doing. I look forward to our Yacht Rock podcast too. starting yeah, soon. <laughs> We're gonna go but on Twitch. We're yet. gonna live stream on Twitch. Listening to Yarok and grading them on a a 10-point scale. (laughs) Also been listening to a lot of bluegrass, if you want to get in on that as well. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a a serious channel for that, isn't there, I believe? Yeah, bluegrass uh, junction or something. I don't know. So would I like that? Because, like, I I remember I asked you probably a year ago, like, what's a good country station? Because I don't like, like, modern country, really. Um, I like that, like, warbly country music. You know, is that more bluegrass? Like, if you're going um, into, like, a roadhouse bar in, like, you know, Arkansas, like, what am I going to hear? <laughs> like, like, like that's what I want, like, oldish, like... Yeah, I think you would like, like, Hank Williams Sr., mm. uh, that kind of outlaw. I would say that's more outlaw country. Okay. Um, so... Yeah, I can give you some recommendations. For Bluegrass now, there's a... And we're really getting off case, but real quick, there's a a, a guy kind of coming up the scene. He's called Billy Strings. That's his mm. name. He has a band, um, but they're just Billy Strings. But his his band, like he's went in the past five years from playing, you know, in front of three hundred to five hundred people uh, at a concert to now, you know, six thousand. Four to six thousand pretty regularly and then can get up to ten thousand on the bigger shows um so he's rising up the ranks he won the best bluegrass album grammy uh last year so he he's he's kind of a young phenom so to speak and and he's kind of cool because he does uh, a lot of like grateful dad covers too so he does some like psychedelic elements too to his shows um, so he's he's popular in the jam band scene as well. So has crossover there. But uh, you can give that a you can give that a look at. If if you don't like that, you're probably not gonna like bluegrass. I'll say okay. that. So. All right, I'll check it out. All right. So what we're here to check out tonight, though, <laughs> is in your house, Mind Games, 1996. Chad. So another WWF pay per view evening upon us. We've talked about the build. We haven't been super impressed with a lot of it. No. Uh, coming up here, even the Sean Mankind match has really been kind of ignored. Um, you know, we've had heavy focus on a couple of things, but not really a lot of the stuff on this show. Uh, so we're going to dive in. This, of course, occurred uh, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So a bit, pretty big location for this, uh, you know, off-month show. Anything in the world of uh, news or notes you wanted to hit on before you get going? No, just, I mean, the fact that the pay-per-view is in Philadelphia and they show it and it's a full crowd. I mean, it's it's so weird because, yeah, I mean, we talked about, like, the product feels so cold. Um, the television tapings feel so sterile and they're 
besides the key arena in Seattle one, they're still in mostly obscure locations. Mm-hmm. And so it's always weird. Like they go to these big, huge arenas for these pay-per-views and are able to, you know, sell them out, especially for this one. Like this is a secondary, I mean, this, it's a little like, like a SummerSlam crowd, you know? Right. Like, yeah. So it's, uh, and Philadelphia is obviously like one of their traditional stronghold cities. So, they do have that going for them, but it's kind of staggering just watching the television that we'd been watching in mm-hmm. the Wheeling Convention Center or whatever, and then jumping to this pay-per-view. I say, yeah, it almost feels like a different uh, promotion. A lot more big time, yeah. Yeah. It's like all of a sudden we're like in these sleepy, you know, fourth hour of a taping in these tiny buildings and all of a sudden we're in philadelphia live <laughs> it definitely felt glaring um for sure so all right well, let's dive in then we get a really good uh dramatic opening video hyping the darkness around the top two matches we get lots on the line here the future state of the promotion tonight we got vince mcmahon jim ross and mr perfect on commentary they welcome us in they set up the night ahead at the brand new core state center and right out of the gate, Chad, we can notice very loud ECW chants echoing <laughs> through this arena. Like, there is no doubt. Like, there's a large contingent of fans here that are ECW fans uh, and probably regulars at the arena. This, of course, is a red-hot time for ECW. Opposite this show, every other Thursday on this feed, North South Connection, we have a show called Extreme Three-Way Dance. Myself, Matt, Susan, and Jenny Smith are going through the history of ECW. We just tracked this whole period. Uh, we're closing in on 97 now. But it's an interesting stretch here. Like, they're starting to feel themselves. The seeds are being planted for trying to get on pay-per-view. Shane Douglas running amok. Raven torturing Sandman. Like, this is all, like, that stuff, you know? So there's like mm-hmm. some, it's a real hot product right now. And it's clear, like these fans are passionate and they're loud. They came with a purpose to this show. Yeah, it's, um, I, I think it really shows the reach, um, more than we'd seen. Uh, but it's kind of like that perfect moment in time too, where I think by this point, ECW was big enough, but still felt underground too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if you were an ECW fan at this point, it still felt like you were building something and on yep. the underground. Um, but there was certainly more of you, you know, it wasn't mm-hmm. just a few hundred uh, in Philadelphia at the ECW arena, kind of now you were seeing larger pockets grow outside of that. Well, if there was even the Sussex hundred at the arena, they're all here tonight <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, immediately you hear it. All right, let's get to our opening match. It is Savio Vega taking on your boy, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. We haven't seen a lot of him lately. Um, no. Of course, Bradshaw attacks Savio back at SummerSlam to set this up. It's a strap match, which has been really positioned as Vega's specialty. He had the one with Austin back at Beware of Dog, where he won. This was actually set up on the free-for-all when Savio was facing Marginetti on a match, and Bradshaw attacked and beat him down. So uh, we kind of end up throwing this out here last minute. Vince notes that Savio's undefeated in these matches, and um, we're up and running. So <laughs> as usual, too, we start. <laughs> well, it's been a trend on and off throughout 95, 96, opening the show with Savio. Gives Vince a chance to get all fired up with the, with the theme music. Uh, Kevin Kelly's backstage. He talks to Savio. Bradshaw attacks at the bell. He beats on him with a strap before they can get tied together. 
the referee's Harvey Whippleman here, and Jim Ross is all over him for letting this happen before they even got tied up. Harvey finally gets him linked, but Savio's in trouble from all those stiff shots to start. Bradshaw gets two buckles, but Savio stops him. Bradshaw's pouring on the strikes. And as we spell outside, we can see Tommy Dreamer sitting front row. He's not mentioned, but you see him sitting there. Uh, the ECW chants continue. Savio pulls Bradshaw to the post and mounts a comeback. But as he does, the Sandman pops up from the crowd and spits beer on Savio and starts yelling at him. The announcers go completely quiet. And Vince all of a sudden cuts in with local wrestling group in Philadelphia is trying to make a name for themselves. We then see Paulie dangerously in the crowd as well. Uh, and as they leave, Vince says, you know, we're not going to show this. We're not going to give them the satisfaction. The crowd gives a big ovation as their heroes being driven out. Uh, the match during that time is kind of slowed down as that's playing out. Uh, this was shown on ECW television as well as, again, we chronicled on Extreme Throughway Dance. So they did not hide from this footage. They had like fan cam in the arena footage that they showed of this happening. You actually get a better look at it, too, because you don't see it as clearly on this pay-per-view. Uh, Savio comes back with some hard shots as the pace picks back up. They trade some impact strikes. JR is hyped about all the intensity of the match. Bradshaw drags Vega to each corner, touches all three, uh, touches three of the post. But we get the usual trope as Vega is following behind. They have a tug of war, and Bradshaw yanks Vega to the corner, touches the fourth post, and wins. Uh, kind of whatever. We had some good strap shots and teases, but the ending, the ending's really played out. Like this is the ending for every fucking strap match, where he drags mm -hmm. around to every corner, he sneaks behind them. And then leaps over and gets the last one. Kind of made Bradshaw look dumb, especially with the manager out there. Like, what's Zebekiah doing? Why isn't he telling him, like, stop, stop, the guy's <laughs> behind you? Um, I think Bradshaw should have gone over here. Like, I know it's Vega's match, but, like, if we're trying to get Vega uh, Bradshaw established, this is, this could have been a good win for him to kick off the pay-per-view. Uh, and really, the only thing I know is, is the ECW stuff here, which overshadowed completely the match. So, I went two stars, uh, but the ECW part is, is definitely the coolest piece of this. Uh, two stars for me as well. Uh, Harvey Whippleman's the referee. Do, do you think there's any chance they did kind of a hokey, traditional WWF-style brawl to counteract the like extreme nature and brawling of ECW? Like that this was kind of like a meta choice? For them to do that. Yeah. So they thought this would be vicious enough to maybe placate these fans. Maybe. Or that, you know, the fans would be like, oh, you know, this is like not our type of brawling. Like this is a lame. Oh, so trying to match. piss them off. Yeah. Like, like trying to get them to rile up more, uh, to chant ECW more and to make know. that a bigger deal. I mean, that's very meta. Um, no, I don't think they were that deep thinking. Yeah. I don't nowadays, think. definitely. <laughs> nowadays, definitely. Yeah. I think then it was more likely that they were maybe thinking like, okay, let's throw this gimmick out there with a weapon, and this is what they want. <laughs> this would actually like placate those right. fans. Yeah, maybe. Um, to me, it just showed the gulf between it because, you know, we've liked Bradshaw well enough, and Savio it is mm -hmm. what it is, but. Um, they certainly present this as like his specialty match or whatnot. And the shots were fine. Um, you know, they were stiff in the beginning, but I would say everything post the ECW cameo is pretty boring. Uh, and then the finish is just so lame. Like it is. That is mm -hmm. just, of all the gimmick matches, that's probably the lamest finish because it never 
it, it it never makes the face look heroic and it never makes the heel look smart. So it fails on both ends. Like it makes the face look like he kind of lucked into and, you know, took advantage of a situation and it makes the heel look dumb. So I always despise yeah. the finish. And they do it a ton. And they just do it a ton. Oh, yeah. All the time. Like it's, it's tough. It's actually more the norm, you know, like mm-hmm. it bucks the norm when that doesn't happen like that. Yeah. So it's it's frustrating. Um, yeah. So what did you think about the choice of Sandman and Dreamer to be the ECW contingent here? Yeah. Um, I mean, watching that stretch of ECW, I would say like they're the two most popular Taz is the other well-known guy, and we will see him. So we're mm-hmm. not past that. I mean, he could have done Sabu, but like Sabu sitting in his tights in the front row would look weird, you know. Um, yeah, These... I don't. Raven's the only other guy, I guess. But again, that's well, again style, right? Like, what's he... I have somebody they could have done, but I think the heat was too hard, and that would be Douglas. Yeah. Well, yeah, he would have been if... good. If you'd have had him sit in front row, you could have had, you know, like Jr. Whoever mm-hmm. on commentary be like, oh, you know, there's the professor that couldn't cut it here, you know, right, like right. could yeah. could give a pot shot or something. Yeah, Douglas um, is probably the best option other than who we got. You need Sam because the beer is like great. Oh, yeah. spits at his face and stands yep. up. And Dreamer is basically like management. Yeah. With um. <laughs> With Paul, you know, he like he's kind of like the face of the promotion. Um, so I think Douglas is the other big choice because Raven, it's kind of goes against his style. Like he'd be sitting there brooding. I guess you could have had them sitting there with like Richards and like Meany or something, you know, not doing anything. But right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think this worked out well. I think Sam and Dreamer are good faces. You got Paul there. This was an exciting moment on WWF yeah. TV, and we haven't had many of it felt it felt real <laughs> you know we don't get a lot of that like even the farouk debut was marred by the costuming right and like even mankind you know like i mean mm-hmm. it certainly made that character work but it was it was like oh it it, it felt like the same wwf thing of like well we're gonna revision you or you know we're gonna retool you as this character um and and this really you know it was like well wow was this planned what's going you know like what's where where is this leading to um it was it was exciting so it was it was well done it was it's a very memorable thing that happens in a very unmemorable match but i mean that's what happened when scott hall debuted too so and you could believe that this is like them doing this on their own you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Like, like, it could sure. have been a rogue move, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, no, it's executed really well. And it makes you wonder, like, do we know exactly when the relationship starts with these guys? Is it around <sighs> here? Yeah, it's around here. I don't know, like, exactly when it does. I'll try to do some observer digging. Because I know Vince um, is subsidizing him during his bad days, right? Like, because it was, it, I remember, like, someone it was in one of the dvds at some point they were like you know we're here like kind of hurting and yet he's still 
like why is uh-huh. he supporting them too kind of thing yeah right and i mean they're on raw in like february through february june. yep all the way to june they're on and off so like there's clearly a relationship in place by this point to the point where too like you got guys that are in ecw in the stretch that we'll see soon as well like at survivor series like furnace on the fawn and scorpio you know mm-hmm. like guys like that right that are kind of working through ecw before coming over so it's clear something is starting to bubble with their relationship. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would guess they were financially staking uh, ECW by this point, but I'll try and to get confident. And it's interesting because ECW has to be careful too, right? Because if they go too blatant yep. with their partnership, it goes against everything they've been spewing, right? Like, yep. You're gonna lose your faithful that hate the, the big boys, right? So they gotta be careful too. Like, like you don't want to do it's, too much work to war, of a war with them either. You um, you see it so many times where I mean, and I think a lot of people now in retrospect would say that like ECW died for a lot of people mm-hmm. with barely legal, and that right. I mean that happens so often. Like it even happens, I would say, with WCW. Like we talked mm-hmm. about that on this show that like. The nitro that a lot of people are seeing for like Southern Jim Crockett promotion fans, it's like, oh, this is not my WCW. No, this right. is not my NWA, so I'm out of here. Um, and that certainly happened when WCW got bought by WWF because, mm-hmm. like, think about the millions of people that just seemingly kind of disappeared overnight. Um, it's it's yeah. a weird thing. I, I mean, you're at a weird thing when you're up and coming where. Like, you have to stay true to what, you know, kind of brought you to the dance and gave mm-hmm. you notoriety. But to grow, sometimes you have to go more mainstream as well. Right. Um, and it, stuff like that's always fascinating. Like, I, I, with all my common interests, like, you see that. Like, mm-hmm. someone like Bill Simmons, I think, is an easy example. Like, think about, like, he was somebody that was so rogue with like a lot of his articles on ESPN.com, mm-hmm. you know, like he was the antithesis of yeah, he was like a bad your boy. sports guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then now think about it, like, you know, after Grant Linden the flame out, like the ringer is very, very, you know, pretty PC. Like on right. you know, well and even he's it. like a Hollywood kind exactly. of guy. Like, like he moved to California. He's yeah. He's, he, yeah. Like hobnobbing with celebrities. It's uh this guy that kind of built his reputation on being, hey, I'm a former bartender. I'm the Just common the sports guy. guy that has a big platform, you know, that is speaking for the people is now, you know, Mr. Hollywood. So it's it's a weird thing. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch on on you know, the ECW podcast. Like we're getting toward the barely legal build. So it's, it'll be curious to me how much the tone is there a major shift in the presentation post barely legal, or is it just perception by long-term fans that like all of a sudden other fans are finding them and it's like kind of like the band getting discovered. Right. 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 Yep. Okay. So we'll track it. We'll talk about it and we'll see more of ECW. We're not done with them for sure on this show. We get a hype package, Jim Cornette and Jose super sock Lothario. <laughs> Uh, and then that brings us our big match, which has been building for a while. And that is Cornette versus Lothario. Uh, I guess it makes sense to pay it off. Like, they've kind of been at odds, really, since, what, King of the Ring-ish time? Yeah. When Sean's well, even maybe before that a little bit, when Sean was sort of a bulldog and stuff. So pretty right. much post-mania. Um, you know, of course, 
Yeah, we see Cornette stooge and get worked over after his year of terror, right? So maybe it feels like a payoff to his run. Uh, it feels like Camp Cornette's coming to a close a little bit here tonight as well. So, like, they've kind of been the dominant faction throughout over the past, what, probably a little over 12 months since Bulldog turned heel. Yeah, yeah, right, right around the time we started this pod, really. I would right. say they've kind of been the main heel fools uh, yeah. on the WWF side. So even before that, with Yoko and Owen, like, dominating the tag division. So, I mean, Cornette's kind of been right. our main manager now for a few years. So, But it feels like maybe that's starting to, to you know, peter out a bit here. Um, Cornette uh, enters the Vader's theme, which was funny. He's wearing red and black. <laughs> uh, Vincent J.R. tells us something's going on backstage. We cut and see a distant shot of someone dressed like Razor Ramon and someone dressed like Diesel attacking Vega. They leave him laid out, and JR's like, like just you know, jizzing in his pants over it. He's all excited. <laughs> uh, and Vince says, Ross promised he will deliver them tomorrow night on Raw. And JR said, on Livewire yesterday, I said they'd be here tonight. And maybe someone should start giving me the benefit of the doubt. And then you get, you know, great, perfect, uh, usual ball busting. He's like, yeah, I believe you, Ross. Uh, and Vince, <laughs> Vince admits, you know, he thought it was all a ratings ploy by JR. Which, of course, tongue-in-cheek, because it is a fucking ratings boy. Uh, Cornette grabs a mic. He shits on Jose. Jose comes <laughs> lumbering out to Sexy Boy, which is funny. Uh, he looks to be in pretty good shape, though. You know, like, I mean, if you go watch him world-class on 82 or whatever on, the, on Peacock, <laughs> it's not that far off from Jose Lothario here. Uh, JR says Cornette looks to be wearing Yokozuna's old tights, and they look snug, uh, which is funny. He mocks his cholesterol. We're getting full-on angry, JR, tonight. Uh, Cornette attacks with the bell. Jose smacks him around, hits him with a big punch. Cornette stumbles. JR makes more fat jokes. And Jose punches him easily with another right hand and finishes him off. So comedy, but at least they kept it short. It pays off the feud. And the crowd was kind of into it uh, as well. So Cornette gets a little payback. I went a half a star. I, I really didn't mind this. Um, you know, could you have confined it to Raw? Probably. But it actually felt like they've invested enough time in this to, like, make it worth having on some level. I went to have a start too. Um, I, I think the execution was better than the build up. Um, mm. and uh, I thought them making it quick is something that we've seen time and time again. They haven't learned from that, right? So I was refreshed to see that here. Uh, the Razor and Diesel backstage mm-hmm. beat down that that was kind of the bad <laughs> aspects of you know, uh, mm-hmm. I guess like shock actions that WWF has taken like they did good with the ECW one which was you know I'm sure probably mostly Paulie's brainchild mm-hmm. right and here this one was poor um Jose Lothario being sheriff sheriff Pete Schumacher's like favorite wrestler from the late 70s early 80s is uh always hilarious to me but he really was good a lot mm-hmm. of the uh, Paul Bosch Houston stuff that's came to light over the past 10 years has really helped his reputation quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the match, it was what a minute and exactly happened the way it needed to served its yep. purpose. So star, a uh, half a star and we can move on. And the, the uh, feud hopefully is done. We'll see. All right. We uh, get highlights of the superstar line where Mark Merrow, Sable, Sonny and Farouk are all arguing and Ross reminds us tomorrow night we get the finals at the Intercontinental Title Tournament, Farouk versus Mero, to determine uh, who will take home the vacant belt. So uh, after that, we head back to the ring, and a little bit more ECW flavor here as Brian Pillman stalks out. 
Uh, as we do that, we hear from Bret Hart in South Africa in an inset promo. He says Brian Pillman's a liar. He never committed to be in Philadelphia. He has not reconciled with Owen Hart. They're both liars. So Bret's not happy. <laughs> Pillman talks up some Philadelphia landmarks and calls the city a sewer. He says the birthplace of freedom is now a cesspool of drug abuse, battered women, and welfare recipients. Um, so he's going in on carrying over what he, you know, he had been doing earlier in the year in ECW is just being a prick uh, to, the, to the citizens of Philadelphia. Owen, jog, Owen Hart jogs out with a Slammy Award. He hugs Pillman. Pillman talks about the bad blood and Brett resenting Owen's youth and athleticism and the match even all the way back to WrestleMania 10. Pillman assumed that they made amends when Brett retired, and Owen says they did patch it up. Brett is older and slower, and he admitted Owen's better than him. Brett, uh, and that he's the best heart. Uh, Brett coming out and calling them liars was uncalled for. Pillman says he gave them a personal guarantee. Owen said Brett promised to be here tonight to give a speech to his fans, and he's confused. He thinks maybe Brett's just getting senile, so he didn't show up. Owen thinks Brett may be scared of Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. And Pillman says, well, if that's the case, we got to talk to him about it. So out comes Austin. And again, this is completely surreal. Like we're referencing Bret Hart, who's been gone for months. We're in Philadelphia where Austin and Pillman had just been uh, putting in some great work earlier this year. Uh, also, you have the whole threads of the Hollywood Blondes, right, being reunited here with Pillman and, and Austin. You have the Stu Hart, Hart Dungeon connection between Pillman and Owen. So th- there's just all these weird little threads coming into this segment. Uh, Vince gives a full disclaimer because he's still gun shy of these, <laughs> all these uh, lawsuits flying around. He says, Bret Hart and the WWE have never said Bret Hart would be here tonight. He's still undecided on retirement, and his family feels like it's something maybe he should do. So Vince gets that out there, that there was never a bait and switch. We never said Bret would be here. Uh, this is just a storyline, basically. Austin says the whole world knew Bret wouldn't show up. When Austin's in the house, Bret Hart's at his house, sitting home scared. As soon as Austin rolled in, Bret packed his bags and headed back to Canada. Pillman asks Brett, uh, asks Austin if Brett's a chicken. And in a very infamous line, Austin says, he doesn't qualify to be a chicken. He's the slimy substance that comes out the rear end of a chicken. And if you put the letter S in front of the word hitman, you've had my exact opinions on Brett Hart. Austin says he and Brett are alike. Brett says he's the excellence of execution, but Austin's the one that lives it. The difference is Brett cares about the fans and he doesn't give a rat's ass. He hopes Brett does come back because Austin 316 says it'll be Brett's ass because Stone Cold said so. And then one of my favorite lines of red wrestling history, Brian Pillman follows with, and Philadelphia sucks because I said so. Uh, Vince keeps apologizing <laughs> for all the language here. This is one of my all-time favorite segments in Dirty of History. Oh, it's got, like, all of my favorites. Austin, Pillman, Owen, you know, Vince, like, freaky got a commentary in front of this Philadelphia crowd. It doesn't drag. It hit the points. It pushes along Austin versus Brett, which feels like it's coming soon. Uh, it felt more alive and cutting edge than anything we've seen on Raw. Uh, Pillman is a major asset. Like, he is so good with this stuff, and it feels like he's completely underused. I know he's hurt. Um, it, you know, he's in a lot of pain. But, like, if they could figure out ways to use him, like, here and not just buried on superstars and shit, um, it could really help. Like, imagine if he was on Raw every week, how much more exciting things could be. You see this segment, and you wonder, how can Raw be so fucking boring most weeks when yeah. you got these three guys can go out there and cut cut up, you know, chop it up for, for five minutes and just, like, slay it. And it's like these guys, like, you barely see this ever on Raw. When do we ever hear Austin talk on Raw? When do we ever see Owen be at a douche like this on Raw anymore? When is Brian Pillman ever out there? you know, stirring shit up. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, these guys could be carrying your promotion right now. And you see it here. This is, like, so awesome. It's, it's just one of my favorite segments of all time. 
Yeah, it's a great rundown. It's a great segment. It uh, again, you know, will be a reoccurring thing because the build was so bad. But um, you know, it was something that seemed a little hokey about promising mm-hmm. Brett, and you didn't kind of know, you know, what their end game was with this. But uh, the way they presented it here to me was awesome, and um, more than anything, it gets Stone Cold over and we've been asking for kind of more heels to reach the upper echelon Mm -hmm. of the promotion and stone cold gives a tremendous promo here to kind of get that ball rolling for sure to kick off a program that inevitably uh is going to be him versus brad at some point it looks like and there's just a lot of iconic lines here i think put the ass in front of hitman is the mm-hmm. most iconic, but 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 everything worked well, and Pillman felt like he was being utilized uh, effectively, even with the injury, with the way he was uh, acting throughout this promo. And then I liked having Owen out there, too. Um, yeah. I think that gave a nice contrast. Uh, so overall, this is, again, a great near slam dunk segment, and there just hasn't been many of those at all in WWF this past year. So good for them. Owen adds a lot too, because this is a segment that's ripe. That's meant to be ripe with fake sincerity. And like, that's Owen's specialty. He's so good at the, you know, playing dumb, like knowing he's being fucking bullshit and lying, but he like, he's so sincere with that. Um, so he was perfect here to be like, I don't know why Brett's not here. Like he said, he was (laughs) going to be here. Right. Um, and then you got Pillman who's really good at that too. So the two of them going in on it, like acting like they're Brett's best friends while all the while it's shit all over them. And then Austin just comes and tears them a new one. And this is where you start to feel like, oh, they're finally going to fucking push Steve Austin here. Like Mm -hmm. there's no way he's out here calling Brett out if they're not, if they know Brett's not coming back and they're not going to fight. So, and it's cool to see, I mean, you just like Austin winning King of the ring, he gives that great promo and it's Mm -hmm. like, this is finally continuation of that. And now it's like, okay, that wasn't just a fluke, you know, like he's able to seize the moment and there could be something to him for sure. And it feels like they knew maybe they wanted to do Brett and Austin, but they like Brett wasn't ready to come back. Like, it feels like maybe they thought Brett may come back for SummerSlam. And I know that was kind of rumored and I feel like Austin won King of the ring. And I I'm confident their plan was originally going to do Brett and Austin at SummerSlam. And that that would have been loaded. Right. And Brett like wasn't ready, maybe. And and because it feels like they suddenly downshift Austin. And then when Brett's ready, they heat him way back up. You know what I mean? Like right. so it feels yeah. like that was maybe the plan. Like have Austin go over at King of the Ring and have Brett go over him in his big return at SummerSlam. And then when Brett bought or Brett pushed it back, like why would they suddenly cool Austin off? He's not even at SummerSlam, you know what I mean? <laughs> and now all of a sudden they're heating him back up. Yeah, that makes sense. I can buy that for sure. So, well, we'll continue to see how it plays out. And like I said, the Pillman saying Philadelphia sucks, as I said, so so good. Because it's like the <laughs> scene is ending. It's cutting away, but he sneaks it in like off camera almost. Like, you don't, you don't really see him say it. You just hear him and he's like, if Philadelphia sucks, because I said so. <laughs> it's such <laughs> like an unnecessary line. But uh, you need like one last shot at the Philly fans. And. Like we covered on the Onyx New Theory Dance, like he was just great during that whole run. Just um, 
and and maybe that goes to your point too. Like if Douglas is one of the guys at ringside, like him and Pillman were like blood feud, you know, in ECW for a few weeks there. Right. I, I just wonder how much of that was the heat. Like I just like Douglas not wanting to be in that locker room. Yeah, him. I think there's a lot of a lot of bad feelings there. So I don't I don't think he would have been even in uh, consideration. Yeah. All right, we get clips of Mark Henry exploring downtown Philadelphia. We'll see more of him later. We then have our tag team title match <clears throat> as the Smoking Guns finally really get like some quality contenders. We've been mm-hmm. dragging for all year. I mean, all year since the Royal Rumble, they've only really fought the Baidonas, the Godwins, and the Rockers. Like we've seen nothing else of this <laughs> tag division besides those teams pretty much the whole way through. Uh, but tonight they face the newly minted team of the British Bulldog and Owen Hart. We've seen them team up on and off throughout the year, but they're kind of officially a team now. Ross says he believes Cornette could be the difference in this one. Uh, he's a much better manager than Sonny, but we see he's with the doctor after his match. And Doc Hendricks tells us he's not in condition to come out. So we see Clarence Mason with him as Cornette's kind of fretting on a bed and, you know, seems like he's all a flutter. And Mason gives us the paperwork and Cornette signs them. And then we'll see more of Mason in a second. Uh, we go back to the ring. Sonny is snuggling with Billy as they're walking out. Bart already kind of seems annoyed at this. And JR says he thinks Billy's the closer to Sonny than Bart. And Vince says he's not so sure about that. And JR just stops talking. So it's, we're really getting more and more of like annoyed Jim Ross and Vince kind of trolling him here. Uh, Sonny reveals the big giant picture that she usually does uh, on these events. That comes from the ceiling, but we see that it's been tagged by Bulldog and Owen. And it kind of has like a mustache and glasses on her. And uh, so we're mocking her there. We ease in to get started. Out comes Clarence Mason. Bulldog and Owen are kind of confused, but they just roll with it. Owen and Billy start off with a flurry. Owen brings the pace right away. Ross says he thinks Owen is the quickest and most proficient athlete in the match. And Vince disagrees. He thinks it's Bulldog. And then Ross sniffs back about Razor and Diesel. So they've been arguing all night. Ross even brings up Vince getting indicted. So they're really going in on each other. Vince keeps pushing and needling them. Uh, Billy gets some more offense in on Owen. The champs start to tag and take control. Owen quickly comes back and tags in Bulldog as Vince is pushing JR some more. Doesn't let him talk to answer. Bulldog and Bart trade offense. Bulldog nails, uh, nailing a drop kick and tagging Owen who goes for the leg. Bulldog comes in and works the leg of Brett as Vince reads Mason's business card. So it says he's located in Sioux City. Owen comes in and grabs the Boston Crab as we get a Bart loves Billy chant from the fans. Bulldog and Owen keep tagging smoothly, pouring it on. The crowd is fully behind them here. Bulldog gets fired up after a great delayed vertical suplex. He does a front flip and then a leg drop for two. Owen gets a good near fall and ends the Gary as the challengers are doing a great job cutting off the comeback, smothering the champs. Bulldog finally gets trapped in the gun's corner and gets dumped to the floor. Billy pummels him. The guns eventually hit the sidewinder on Bulldog, but Mason is tying up the ref and Owen busts up the cover. The guns stay on top and beat on Bulldog as JR calls out the mistakes they're making. And Vince says they haven't made any mistakes in perfect degrees. He gives credit to Sonny. So again, Vince continues to needle JR. Perfect's kind of playing both sides. Bart works through some more offense on Bulldog as Billy flirts with Sonny. Bulldog takes a chance to shove Bart into Billy. Billy shoves Bart back. Bulldog turns him into a power slam and wins the tag team titles for his team. Sonny's pissed. She yells at the guns and fires them. And storms off. And we have brand new tag team champions. And again, this feels like a sea change uh, for the promotion. We've been slogging through this moribund tag division for all year. And now we have like two great workers that have been, you know, a little bit lost lately. We talked about this, you know, recently. Like what can Bullog and Owen be doing better? Like Bullog's out of world title shots. Owen's kind of been ambling around. This is a great use of them. The match was well worked. It was well structured. 
you know, they have potential here to have Bulldog and Owen be a flawless tag team. The guns look to be on brink of disaster as well, which is fine. I think we're about ready to wrap them up as a team. It's been three years now. What more can we do with them? So I went three and a quarter star, Chad. I, I liked the match quite a bit, and I really liked the decision to put the belts on Bulldog and Owen. Yeah, agreed. Three and a quarter for me, too. We're pretty like step so far. Um, this was a tag match that was needed. Like, this promotion mm-hmm. needed a good tag match, and they got it here. Uh, a lot of things that I think typically go awry, like the uh, WWF in particular with face versus face matches, I think they most of the time do a pretty good job of that, especially the higher profile ones like Hogan Warrior, Brett, Piper, etc. Um, but uh, the heel versus heel matches that they've done in their history. I can't think of many that were very uh, good or was well presented and executed. Mm -hmm. And I thought they did a good job here with that, where you uh, obviously the crowd was behind Owen and Bulldog, but you had some neat stuff like involving Bart, giving some good uh, selling of his leg as it got worked over Bart again to, to me, like Bart gun is someone that on the WWF side, has had his reputation raised a bit, like, you know, certainly not a super worker, but has looked good. Uh, the double team moves that he provided with Billy when Owen was facing peril, uh, all looked good, all looked violent. And then I like the kind of hot tag, but wasn't a hot tag that mm-hmm. was given to Bulldog, you know, and then you didn't get this like long elaborate finishing sequence, but just like Owen rolled him up and he won the titles and that was that. So, I, I thought this was extremely satisfying uh, for the live crowd and the portion that we're able to rewatch at home. All right. Well, we'll see where our new champions go from here. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say right now that like, oh, we're turning the ship around and WWF's going to be way better. But you can at least start to see some positive changes. <laughs> like, like some of the stuff that's really dragged through the summer seems to be fading off a bit. So I'm hoping we're starting to see whether it's being open to use ECW a little bit, whether it's getting the titles, the tag titles off of the shit division onto some real workers, um, you know, pushing Austin to a main event level role using Brian Pill. I mean, like these seem to be at least positive steps for us, uh, Razor and Diesel aside. Kevin Kelly's in the basement with Mankind and Paul Bearer. He's confident they'll bring Mankind to the world title tonight. Mankind says this is his destiny to bring Michael's pain to hold his hand aloft while cuddling at the title. Usual good promo for Mankind. Any thoughts there? No, I mean, a good promo, one that would have been good to have on Raw <laughs> leading up to this. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt like it was, uh, you know, this isn't one of the better promos of Foley's career, but it was effective and uh was almost dedicated more time than what we'd seen in parts of the build so you know again glad we're able to see it on this show but it's kind of too little too late on it having a impact all right back to the ring for our next match which is mark henry making his wdf in-ring debut against jerry the king lawler of course this feud also kicked off at SummerSlam when henry was on commentary during the jake roberts jerry lawler match and ended up you know, getting into it with King. It actually even had occurred on Raw before that when Henry had appeared, you know, before the live crowd off camera and, and slammed King when he got introduced the first time. Uh, out comes King. He does another rant on a crowd before his match. It's been a very active year for him. He's been in a lot of paper yeah. matches for us. They keep going to him for this kind of stuff. We get clips of King playing mind games on Henry on TV. 
shits on the Olympics and Henry as JR calls him the heavy favorite in this match. Henry's pretty jacked, uh, but he's definitely antsy to get things going. King says he'll start simple with a headlock to embarrass Henry. So he puts on a headlock, but Henry just easily breaks it and off we go. Henry grabs a headlock now and cranks it, but King escapes and laughs. Henry then reverses some basic stuff and shoves King around, keeping this very simple as you'd expect. Vince says someone must be coaching Henry and wonders maybe it was Mr. Perfect, but Perfect denies it. Lots of King stooging. Harry bumps around for Henry. King lands a sharp punch to take over. JR says that he had to have something in his hand, no doubt. Henry shrugs off the strikes, hits some hard knees, and then loads King up into a hanging backbreaker, and King gives up, giving Henry the submission win. Leaf Cassidy, Marginetti, and Hunter Hearst Helmsley come out to attack Henry, but he easily wipes them out. And then the big spot we get is Henry uh, pressing uh, Hunter over the top into the Rockers which looked kind of cool. We got a big pop there. So this really wasn't much of a match. I mean, King just kind of bounced around and put Henry over. Henry's got a lot of work to do. I mean, they kept this as simple as possible. We're going to have to ease him in for sure across the board in all aspects. But I thought I liked the post-match as he manhandled the group attacking him. I just went one star, uh, just pretty much a, a squash of King. Yeah, I, I did a star and a half. I thought, again, this was helped. Yeah relatively short like short enough it was starting mm-hmm. to drag out and then they went home with it which i thought was smart uh you know hint lawler with his mic routine i go back and forth it's i, I thought it was okay on the side uh, yeah but he, he lets us know he's gonna start with a headlock henry breaks free to show all that so um you know the power advantage obviously goes to mark henry uh but then um you know, when he uses the foreign object, he's able to kind of take advantage for a bit, work him over. So you see the kind of basic uh, tools utilized by Henry and learning pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely a work in progress at this point. And, uh, yeah, he quickly lifts him up, hits the backbreaker and wins. Um, I... What did you think about the heels kind of running out here? And especially Triple H. I mean, I think it was just a chance for, like, Henry to show off his strength and that, you know, whatever. And guys are gunning for the rookie, right? Like, he's got a target on him. Um, you know, to me, it's clear, like, Hunter's still a bit in the doghouse, I guess, that yeah. he's out here at the Rockers. I mean, he does get the pay-per-view payday, right? He came out, so he's probably getting something. So they cared enough about him to make him one of the guys. But it also was like, he looks like a goof. I mean, the Rockers are goose. So, yeah, it just makes him look like low mid-card. Yeah, I thought Jerry's he... Bad, really, so. Yeah, I thought his uh existence as one of the people here was very intriguing um and interesting to see because i agree like you know i mean yeah you know what the purpose is is to make henry look even Mm -hmm. more like a monster and if he does it to these goons the rockers like them running out is weird but okay whatever um he beats them up everybody's happy but hunter being one of them felt pretty odd and I'm interested to see the follow-up on, you know, if he is on the Raws we watch, you know, kind of what he's doing, uh, where things are headed that way. Right, because maybe you could think like, okay, Henry's next guy is going to be Hunter, right? Right. Coming off of this, uh, but we'll see, because there's other things planned for Hunter. And we still mm-hmm. get the Mr. Perfect stuff going on with Hunter. Like, that's kind yep. of been a thing, too. Yep. So we'll see where that goes. That they talked about, too, on air. Yep. yep. 
All right, uh, we go to the table where Vince, Jr. and Perfect type next in your house, which is October 20th from Indianapolis, and we find out it'll feature the first ever unsanctioned buried alive match between Undertaker and Mankind. Jr. explains the concept behind it, where the winner will be the person who could bury the other person alive in a gravesite. But there's a very interesting, um, <clears throat> I, I think just like random slip of tongue by Vince. I don't know if you caught this. He says the world title will be not up for grabs given it's unsanctioned. And he doesn't say like if mankind wins, he just says the title won't be on the line. And I remember as a kid watching this and thinking Vince just gave away the finish and mankind's winning the belt. Like he says it very clearly. The title will not be up for grabs. The match is unsanctioned. So uh, did you catch that at all? Yeah, so I called the the way he said it. I t- I took mm-hmm. it. I mean, I enjoyed it though. The the fact that he presented it that way. Um, and he says it but, twice. He says it again at the end. The title yeah. will not be up for grabs. Yeah, because I mean, it does seem a little weird that you know, like this guy's about to go for the world title, and you're already announcing him in the main event the next month in this unsanctioned match. Um, so I, I did find that a bit strange, uh, but uh, the way Vince says it, yeah, I can, I can, I can get on board with that. That that kind of feels like okay, mankind is winning, uh, just in the way he phrased it. Do you think he should have said something like if he wins, or do you like the way that he just? He kinda... I kind of like the way he said it because I mean, like he just says like the title's not going to be up for grabs because we're not even sanctioning the match. Like right. mankind's the only one in the match. Yeah. That's also going for the title. So it's kind of understated yeah. or understood. It's understood. Um, but I, I liked it. I, th- I thought it was. It, it definitely felt to me like he fucked up and gave the finish away. <laughs> like, <laughs> like at that age, like you would just say, like, right. oh shit. Like, why would he say that? He, he fucked up. You know, that's, he should be saying that on raw, not tonight. Um, yeah. So I, I took that as a sign at the time that mankind, I went. And I don't think that was that out of the realm. Like we'll talk about it later, but Mankind winning the belt and feuding with take over the belt, like isn't that no. far fetched? Yeah, no. But and perfect uh getting to like the buried alive match of it, mm-hmm. perfect I think had a pretty good night on commentary, like one of his better nights. And uh he's pumped for it. He he yeah. was he was all in on it, so that was good. It was good that they I, again, I don't know. Like, you know, where's this confidence been on the TV show? Because it right. felt like they had a good bit of confidence, and they still have a couple misses here and there. But it just this show exudes a lot of like fresh starts and mm-hmm. building to more inherently more interesting stuff than what we've seen before. So across the board, everything feels an extra kind of tinge of excitement based on what we've seen so far well it, it look the formula is not that hard right <laughs> we're we got a live crowd we're in a hotbed city we have compelling people on screen and some good matches like, like it's raw could be this every week if they wanted it to be like it's not that hard they don't even have to travel a lot like if they just even did right. it every other week live and just hit these hotbed cities boston philadelphia New York, Chicago, Baltimore, you know, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Like, I mean, these are like New Jersey. Like, these are keystone states for them. Just hit those, you know, and and run tinier buildings if you have to. But and then just go live every other week and the crowds will be hot. Like, it'll be such a different presentation. Like, they're not far off. They just can't get out of their own fucking way with some of this stuff. 
Yeah, and some of the wrestlers, as we talked about, I, I don't know if it's just burnout or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the booking agent or whatever, but um, they, even the matches you think would be good on paper just haven't been. So right. it's, it's weird that everything seemingly so far has came together pretty well for this pay-per-view. Yeah, it's... It's been good. It's been a good night for them. And and the excitement, the live crowd has added um, a lot for sure. So uh, we get our hype video for our next match, which is Undertaker taking on Goldust. It is the final entry in this trilogy. We saw a match at Beware of Dog and the casket match at Goldust won. Undertaker, I think, what, won by DQ at, at uh, in National yeah. Incident? Yeah. So we're going to go at it one more time. It's been a weird view too. Like we've been alternating Mankind and Goldust on these pay-per-views for Undertaker. Mm-hmm. So um, they've fought three times, but it's across like six months. Uh, this is the final curtain match. There's no details on what that exactly means. Uh, we get the usual dramatic entrances for both guys here. The crowd is vibing. Undertaker big time as he comes out. Vince is hyping him. Taker's very aggressive. He goes right at Goldust, spiking him after a choke, gets two on a leg drop. JR wonders about Mankind and Goldust's relationship, where that stands. Something we haven't seen a ton of. Um, I know there's playing out a bit on Superstars, I think, but uh, they were definitely trying to tell a story with like this bizarre family thing with them and Marlena. Taker keeps slugging away with right, uh, hard right hands, a big boot. It's a vertical suplex for two. Taker walks the ropes, hits a sledge as Goldust is all off balance, can't get on track. Marlena tries to get involved, but Taker just deadlifts her off the floor into the apron. That allows Goldust to blow the Goldust in Taker's eyes. Takes over the match, works through his offense, very slow measured strikes. Taker hits a back suplex, but he can't get advantage. As Goldust goes back to pouring his strikes on, he smothers Taker's face. Taker punches free. Goldust starts to pick up the aggression, gets two on a power slam. Taker ignites his offense again, but runs into a knee lift. Goldust goes up top. Taker grabs his neck and choke slams him off the top to the mat to a big pop and then finishes the match with a tombstone. So I, I like this well enough. It was succinct. It was quicker moving than their other matches. Goldust was crisper in his attacks, so maybe he's feeling better. Uh, and he's brought more energy lately as well. Taker really pushed through, hit all of his big spots to a hard fought win. And the feud's pretty much put to bed here. Uh, Vince basically says it's over. <laughs> this is it. Uh, find a way to keep Taker busy throughout 96. They had the promo that started it all back in April with the rigor mortis. And here we are. Um, and it was a good way to keep him from having to constantly fight mankind on these shows as well. So uh, Goldust does need something new, though. Like, it's, let's see what he can do uh, outside of this. So, again, Chad, this was fine. We don't really ever find out with a stipulation. I guess it's whatever, like no DQ. Yeah. Like, they don't really use it. Um, they should have said final curtain means end of the feud, but whatever. Right, uh, so I went right. two and three quarters, though. I, I, yeah, I thought it was fine. Yeah, three stars for me. Mm. Um, I've liked the feud okay. Agree this should be it. Um, happy that this is it. Kind of kind of interesting to me in that they presented this by far as like a semi-main and Mm -hmm. almost like a co-main in a lot of ways like it was on the opening package um they seem to have invested a lot in the feud but um i i just found that intriguing Uh, i liked that taker started out hot attacking goldust Goldust tries to use some of his bell tactics but um it's not working very nice suplex by taker uh, but to me, and this is where these matches have faltered before, and the Goldust matches we have seen that I've been less high on has been that his control sequence. Mm. And when he's gotten control, it's been 
uh, a lot of kind of boring headlocks or arm bars or whatever. Um, here, once he takes control for throwing the gold dust sprinkles or whatever into Taker's eyes, I thought he did an effective job of keeping the action going. Like it wasn't captivating, but it was good enough that it gave a very kind of um, pace that he was able to keep throughout the match and and didn't bog the match down. Um, and then we get that definitive Taker finish, which I thought made him look really strong. Like we have not seen Taker look that strong. Mm-hmm. Um in a while, uh, at least since he started his feud with Mankind. Um, so I, th- I thought him, you know, kind of getting this definitive win, moving on, uh, and then we can see where Goldust is going to settle out was a smart move. So a, a good match to end the uh, Will, good <laughs> good old Will from Wrestling Memorial. Fair uh, feud. Feud, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long one. Like we said, I mean, it started the night after Good Friends, Better Enemies back in April. Right, yeah. Three pay-per-view matches across that time. So we've had a lot of time with these two guys. uh, Yeah, I think of what you said, like, he's alternated with Mankind, too. Mm -hmm. And, like, that Mankind feud still feels like it has legs to it, where this one don't. So it it was time to end this one, for sure. Yeah, and if you look at it, Taker fought Goldust in May. Mankind in June, Goldust in July, Mankind in August, Goldust in September, Mankind in October. <laughs> so he's pretty much rotated. And that's kind of cool. That's something we can think, talk about after Buried Alive, though, too. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I mean, they go back to Goldust versus Undertaker. I mean, uh, Undertaker versus Mankind at Survivor Series. And that one feels like a step back. Like, that's right. the memory and the rep. So we'll see if that holds out. But yeah, like maybe, you know, the third match of that one should have been it for a while, too. So so we'll have to track that. Yeah, I'll be curious how much of that feels like, because the way that match goes, you know, we talked about it at SummerSlam, right? Where it felt like, all right, Taker's going to go away for a while kind of thing. Um, I'm curious if that feels right. the same, you know? Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see. All right, Kevin Kelly's with Shawn Michaels says this is the first title defense where he's been nervous. He knows he can out-wrestle anyone, but Mankind's wacky and different. And he'll find a way to get the job done, though. Kevin says the rumors of a plot by Paul Bearer are afoot, and he often plays games with caskets, and Michaels just kind of jokes about it. So, I mean, this is whatever. It's typical kind of folksy, yuck-yuck, Shawn Michaels face guy. Uh, This is my second meta question. Do you Mm -hmm. think this was... I thought this was awful. Uh, Do you think this was purposely kind of bad and clumsy to get over the nervousness no i feel like sean's been this way with his (sighs) like this it's look it feels like they didn't learn a ton from diesel the year before right like like i feel like we they shoehorn diesel into this you know kissing babies white meat baby face purebred guy he turns he loses the belt snaps turns heel and gets way cooler Sean, you know, was a heel that everyone kind of was into. The fans turn him face, gets the world title. It immediately turns into like, you know, a hokey sitcom character for this title run. He'll lose the belt and immediately gain more of an edge. Like, it's like, I don't know. It's just weird. Like, he follows the same pattern Diesel did. Uh, he He's a little more, I guess, in theory, cooler as a champion than Diesel was. But, um it's still a lot of like just yuck yuck from him, and it's been that way the whole time. 
Yeah, I, I didn't like this at all. Um, I actually watched this with my dad. And as soon as it was over, he looked at me and was like, that was awful. I was like, yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, kind of, he's, he's been watching, you know, when he comes in, I'm watching stuff or whatever in the main main living room. He, he's kind of seen some, like, Ric Flair promos and some real good ones that I've been watching with some of my Crockett stuff. Um, so so this certainly felt like a step back. And I, I did. I, I just thought this was really weird really toned weirdly and it doesn't help sean at all from a character standpoint um i I tell you who it reflects poorly on is jose lothario because he's admitting (laughs) i mean he's admitting he has no strategy so it's like what the hell you know jose what's he doing is it busy training for the court i guess i guess the super sock so um it's weird because it feels like we're at the end of the road for sean like it feels like we're like, all right, it's probably time to wrap this. Um, it doesn't feel like he's a guy that's going to have a multi-year run or anything like that. Like, it feels like he's probably done. But mm-hmm. that said, it also feels like he hasn't done a lot. Like, I feel like outside of the Bulldog feud, I mean, I guess the Vader feud. But even then, I feel like they weren't on Raw a ton. Like, he just, I feel like there's like, there could have been a lot more to this title reign than we end up getting. Yeah, he's not. And I, I actually think you can see this with Brett too um that like brett had that moniker i'm the fighting champion mm-hmm. and then when you dug into it it's like eh, i don't know like <laughs> who are you fighting yeah <laughs> like, right exactly we don't see so um they they kind of had issues i mean i don't know like at this point you can almost say like when was the last time you would say they really booked a world title effectively um i mean or like really like a really strong world title reign uh, yeah probably most, bread after 10 i think i think most would point to that but that is mm. where i do think it's a little disappointing in watching where it's not as right. prominent as you think that he's around like it's still good but not i mean well, him that's and how treated the world champion weird. though like even savage in 92 like he's never even on tv mm-hmm. yep and and hogan I mean, this goes back to the late 80s. Like, you you know, y'all did so many Madison Square Garden shows for Place to Be that Hogan was mm-hmm. not on. So, it's yeah. it's, it's kind of their, their uh, MO at this point with their world champion. All right. Well, let's see that world champion in action. It's our pretty anticipated world title match here. Shawn Michaels takes on Mankind, who's certainly earned this title match. He's been one of our favorites and continuously great since he's debuted. Uh, just an awesome first six months. A super push and a believable threat. We see the Druids push a casket out. Mankind is inside the casket. He sits up out of it to get in the ring. Harold Bear shuffles behind them. Just a great entrance and vibe. Good pop for Sean as he comes out. His reign in this weird place just kind of shuffling along. Uh, Mankind, Mick Foley is in amazing shape here. He said it you know, before, too. Like mm-hmm. He killed himself to get into great shape for this match. And he looks it. like He is wicked slimmed down. He's flying around during the match. Brings the fight right to Sean. <clears throat> a lot of quick strikes and mauling. Uh, he drives him outside with a charging clothesline. Mankind kicks Sean to the barricade. We get some more ECW chance. Mankind picks up the mat, but Sean drop kicks him to the concrete floor under the mat and stop, stomps on him. He heads up top and meets him on the floor with a high cross body for a very hot start. Sean spikes Mankind's head off the concrete, shoots him back inside. 
runs through some offense, countering any comebacks with strikes. The pace here has been great so far. Sean slams Mankind, hits the top rope elbow, sets up sweet chin music, but Mankind leaps to the floor to avoid it. He sits and cradles the urn as he resets himself. The challenger returns, but Sean keeps pouring on the offense. Mankind seemingly misses a spot in there, and the two just start pepping each other with potatoes. Uh, again, who knows if this is real or fake? Uh, you know, the story's always been that Sean was playing off the real rumors of the Vader meltdown, right. and him and Mick decided to do like a fake shoot spot here. It, it looks a little contrived, I think, more so than others. So I would tend to believe that they worked this in to kind of work shoot, especially being in front of a smart crowd like the Philly crowd. Wouldn't shock me if, if they came up with the idea to kind of work it. Yeah, Mankind, I agree. Yeah, good. Okay. I, I just agree with that. I, th- I think this was something they kind of pegged in, and uh, it was just part of the narrative they wanted to present. Well, and you can see it in this match. Like, you know, Cactus is obviously ECW legend. You knew he was going to get, like, the crowd into him. I think Sean knew coming into this, like he needed to work a match that was going to win over this crowd. Like he was going to have to fly around and, and get ugly and violent. Similar to he did with diesel. Right. I think he knew like he was going to have to really work his ass off. And you know what, too, for the last, however many months, like Shane Douglas has talked shit out to these fans as well, constantly. So here he comes into Philly, like with a chance to really show out. So I think he came into this knowing like he wanted to put on a classic that would, be the type of classic these fans would embrace. Ma- Mankind grabs Sean. He takes him down from behind. Sean blocks the claw, fights him off. And it's, again, really starting to feel like Sean is fighting for his life against a, a monster here. Vince says Sean let his temper get the best of him a minute ago. So that lends credence to it being a work that Vince called it out. Sean stomps away, but Mankind cuts him down with a great right hand and throws him to the floor. Mankind drags the announce table to the edge of the ring, but Sean flies into him and suplexes him into the steps in a completely nasty bump as Mankind's knee rattles off of them. Sean takes out his knee and spikes it on the casket, stomps away. Mankind fends Sean off and kicks free of him to buy himself a minute. Vince says Sean keeps losing his cool and it could cost him. Sean snaps Mankind down with a nice corkscrew leg whip and hooks a figure four. Sean releases and drop kicks the knee, follows with a shin breaker. Perfect says he's wrestling the match perfectly since that was his move. Sean grabs a single leg crab, but Mankind breaks free, hits a big hot shot across the top rope. Mankind rolls to the edge of the apron, grabs a pen from Paul Bearer and jabs his knee with it to loosen it up and get the feeling back. Mankind goes right back into the ring and mauls Sean, pushing through the banged up knee. He lands as a knee to, a knee lift to Sean's face in the corner, pounds away. Sean tries to push back and he finally trips Mankind, leading to a slugfest. But Mankind shoots him hard to the corner. Sean takes a great flare style bump and ends up at a tree of woe, where Mankind beats him with some big elbows to the head. Mankind kicks Sean over the top and tries to smash him against the steps, but Sean dodges and careens into them. Sean then drop toe holds Mankind into the steps. They fight over a suplex on the apron that ends with Mankind running into the ring post. Back inside, Sean gets two on a body block and dodges the charge. We get the Foley hangman spot. Sean comes over to attack Mankind, but as his neck is twisted to the rope, he reaches up and grabs the mandible claw until he uh, slips free out to the floor. Sean follows out. They fall into the poor Spanish announce team. Hugo Savinovich tumbles over on his ass. Sean takes his chair and blocks a Foley punch with it. And then Sean smashes his hand with the chair as well, which is really good strategy because Sean's trying to take away the mandible claw. So he bites at the hand. He batters it. Mankind flips Sean to the floor. He follows out with an elbow off the apron and a swinging neck breaker. Back inside, Mankind hits a double arm DDT, but only gets two. He follows the stuffed pile driver and a cradle pinfall for two. Mankind gets a chair. He calls for the casket to be opened, and Paul Bearer obliges. Mankind drags Sean over and shoves him inside of it, but Sean fights back. 
Sean runs through his closing offense, which pisses off perfect, but the crowd is heating up. Sean gets two off a high cross body, but Mankind crotches him on the top. Mankind follows up, but Sean blocks him, hooks him, and we get the great infamous spot here as he takes him off the top rope through the announce table that was set up before with a back suplex. Perfect payoff. The snap of the table sounds awesome here. Mankind climbs up top of the chair, but Sean springboards off another chair and hits sweet in music through the chair that Mankind's holding. Sean goes to cover very slowly. As you can tell, we missed the mark here a little bit as Vader ambles mm-hmm. out with the DQ. Uh, he doesn't make it in time, so Sean has to get up off the pin, turn and fight Vader. He knocks him to the floor. Bearer comes in and clocks Sean with the urn. Out comes Sid. He fights off Vader. The crowd is losing it as Sid and Vader fight to the back. Sean and Mankind are now both out cold, so Mankind rolls over and gets the mandible claw. Then the casket opens, and the Undertaker is now inside. That gets a huge pop. He fights off Mankind in just a a really amazing moment that was really well done. Um, The casket teases with multiple times showed that the casket was empty and then had Taker in it. It was awesome. Like, just a great trick to have that work out that way. Uh, and then Sean celebrates to wrap up. So a classic match in the perfect setting, Philadelphia, you know, months after Foley had his big epic ECW run end, Sean trying to prove himself to the fans. Mankind showed he could bring it in this wild brawl. Um, he could be a massive threat and a main event player. Sean showed he could bring it in a wild brawl as well with a madman like Mankind. Uh, an incredible flow through this match. Both guys took their share of big bumps. The crowd, the vibe, the announcers are all locked in. Really one of Sean's finest moments of his reign. Uh, and even the ending doesn't hurt because you have the awesome Taker Mankind feud. The crowd is going insane for Sid and Vader. Like, everything's there. Like, it's okay to have the fuck finish here after a classic match. Like, they delivered enough. Uh, it was a classic. It's a big moment for the WF2 that they could deliver something like this when they, when they figure out the pieces of the puzzle. So I went four and three quarters. Uh, and we wrap up the show with a music video after it. So I think the only thing preventing it from being perfect is probably the finish. We get the bot, yeah. the DQ. Um, but honestly, it's it's super close. Um, it's a great match that completely holds up. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Like I think the finish for me takes it down a little bit. Um, I was trying to think of like of the matches I do rank five stars. Which match I think has the worst finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know. I couldn't I couldn't come up with one that I thought was actively kind of bad. Um, so uh, this this one's a little disappointing on the finish side. But besides that, like everything is just absolutely wonderful. You did a very exhaustive, great rundown of the highlights there. But I went four and three quarters as well. Uh, Nine point five out of ten on the 10 scale mm-hmm. uh, best match we've watched and really one of the kind of Mount Rushmore candidate matches we'll watch over the course of this podcast. So it's, so uh, do you have it like, so you were four and a half on Sean diesel. I was four and three quarters. I yes. think I like this better than that though. Yeah. Um, where were you on? Where were we on Brett diesel? Uh, four and three quarters, but 9.3. Okay. So, so this, this is that. Two decimals, uh, two two points on the tens digit ahead, and I was five and a half on that. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, we had the like the reverse on those. Um, yeah, so I would I would say at least combined for sure it's the best match we've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's the best match we've seen rating wise, and we'll see. Like, I mean, there's one I think that'll beat it relatively soon. Very I soon. don't. 
think well, I don't know about very soon because uh, you we, we may get a hot take on that match. So okay, the one I'm thinking about is the rematch of that. Okay. So, um, I I don't think I've ever been as high on Austin Brett at mm-hmm. Survivor Series compared to this one just as a match. Uh, what I like about this match more than anything else, uh, like getting into the nuts and bolts of it, is I think it's the perfect melding of like big WWF style main event, but also uh, frenetic brawling elements, bumping, and uh, using like speed and mm-hmm. athleticism. And that's something that you look at the lineage of the WWF world title matches, they just hadn't really had um, at all. Like, I mean, I I would say the closest thing as far as athletic performance uh, to this match that you'd seen in a WWF title match since, I don't know. I mean, I might declare history. Like, I love Bruno, but, you know, I mean, he's... Mm -hmm. He's obviously like a, a, a strong man, but not very agile or whatever. Um, not executing a lot of holds or bumping a lot either. Um, so, so maybe like Brett Owen in a cage, right. maybe. But Brett Kid. Yeah, but that's like a lower level. Right, it's not a big time match. Yeah, like I, I'd say of the big time matches, this one. <laughs> does something very unique. Um, Savage DiBiase, maybe. Yeah, that's probably up there. Actually, I didn't think about that one. That one's good. Um, it's 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 just a cool, to me, hybrid style yeah. of of a lot of things coming together. Um, and the fact that this is like Foley's big moment and he mm-hmm. seized it is is also amazing like you know somebody like we've talked about it before like Foley a lot of times if now that you know him like he feels like the common man you know and yeah a lot of times like the moment was not too big for him it's like oh that's awesome like he rose to the occasion instead of like you know just having a decent match like Sean was having mm-hmm. very good matches this year as we chronicled and the match with Diesel is not that unsurprising because of right. their relationship. But I think, like, the Vader match, we both thought was really good to, you know, low-grade great. Mm-hmm. But could have been a match of the year candidate in your head. And it wasn't. And, and this Bulldog, one, too. Yes. Bulldog, I mean, you would think maybe one of the Bulldog matches could have broke through as well. Right. Right, the Bulldog matches possibly could have, and they mm-hmm. haven't. Right. And this does, for sure. And there's so many great moments. Um, the table spot, like, I don't know. We've seen so many table spots over the years now that you're so just, like, checked out on them. But mm-hmm. still, the way, like, they go through the table is so visceral, and I love, like, that there's, you know, they don't clear the table, so everything goes flying, like the headset, the water, you know, like the well, whole it's table. it's so unique too. Like you just never see that angle, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like we now had seen a few table spots, like the Brett one. I mean, the Brett one's awesome too, from Survivor Series. But um, 
It's, it's great. Uh, the pen, I think, is a great moment, a memorable moment. Uh, just mankind's overall like demeanor throughout this match, like, um, was very impressive. Like the, the the amount of offense he mixed in. Shine is also someone that I think more times than not gets rightfully critiqued for his lack of offense. I thought he showed a lot of offense in this match when he had the chance to. He also sold when he needed to. And we know Shawn Michaels can sell very well, and he did it here. Uh, Just an excellent performance by both. And then also, uh, with the finish, like I said, the the timing's a little off. Vader kind of misses his cue a little bit. Mm -hmm. (coughs) A little awkward, a little clunky. But it does give the cool visual at the end where Mankind, you know, was continuously lifting the uh, casket to show that it was empty. And then all of a sudden, Taker's in there, Uh, which was a neat gimmick. It's still like one of those, like, I mean, obviously, like, there was a false bottom or whatever. But it's like, was Taker under the ring? Was he in that casket? Like, I I don't necessarily know know how he did that. I've been like trying to figure that out. <laughs> like, yeah. like I've been, that's been like a mental challenge for me for years. Like you said, I'm sure there was a fake bottom. He was under the ring and he kind of climbed in and up, but like the logistics break my brain. It's like, how did he, how did they do it without it moving and being obvious? Yeah. And how does he get up there and the bottom support it? Like, how do you do that yourself? You know what I mean? Unless there's someone like agents run somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, like, he's laying flat on his back, and yeah. then you can see the quote-unquote bottom of the casket, you know? Right. So, it is, like, an agent had to have, like, came in and probably, like, I, I think he had to would have had some assistance in getting him in place or but something But even then, like, like Matt, how do they do it? I know we don't see the casket the whole time, so I guess it is, like, whatever fans notice is moving. Who gives a shit? But, um... Like, you don't ever see it, like, shifting around, you know? Yeah, the only other possibility I could think of is that, like, he's already in place, and when they're opening it at first, you're seeing, like, the top layer of the casket, quote-unquote, and then he just takes that off and off, and then, or it's, you know, does something to get rid of that, and then he's there. That's, that would That's, be the only Imagine thing. being but under it, a layer cool. in a casket like that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's like their cues, too. Like, I don't think it's really, I mean, maybe when the bell mm. rings is, like, the cue for them to go. Right. Um, It seemed like it was that. Like, they wanted to make sure, like, when you hear the bell, that's when it's go time. Um, But uh, it, it, it's cool. I mean, it's a cool visual, and, like, Paul Bear's reaction's hilarious mm-hmm. when he opens it. Like, he gives, like, a legitimate-looking stunned reaction, which obviously he knew was going to happen. So, um, overall, it's very fun. I mean, just, you know, this is just, these are one of your, this is one of your classic matches, and this is uh, kind of caps off a pay-per-view that, you know, like I talked about, the build was, I so maligned the build coming in, and almost everything to me is over-delivered, and this is the, like, ultimate example of that. I mean, this was a match that, in real time, I don't know if I would have been excited. I know I wasn't excited for it as a 10-year-old kid. It's not like I right. begged to watch this pay-per-view at all. Like, it's, this wasn't one that was really on my radar, 
Now, if I was more, you know, in tune as a smart fan or whatever, like I'd have been more intrigued Mm -hmm. um, at the time. But I don't know. I still don't know if I'd have been like super into it because, I mean, up to this point, like Foley's matches, I mean, he's had some great matches, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what his best match before this one is. Like, there's candidates, but. In the WF or overall? A singles match overall, like singles. Uh, Sting at Beach Blast probably? Maybe, but I, I still think, like, if you watch that. Um, match. I I've never mm. thought like, and I know like Foley says in his book that was the number one match to this one, but I I've never got the sense from that one that right. like I think this is just like way better. Yeah. And um, even in ECW, he doesn't have great matches per se. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of, like big brawls and crazy moments. Yep. Yep. Um, and that's I yeah. mean like his King of the Death matches stuff is like that too. Mm. Um, so it's. It's interesting to think about. Like, I don't, I don't know if you would maybe King of the Ring. I mean, if you're not into staying in the <laughs> maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I just don't think like you could have said up to this point. Like, okay, mm-hmm. Mick Foley has a match of the year candidate, right? But no. that's not a tag. Maybe the Spring Stampede, Slimebury tags, but as a singles match, I, I don't know if you could say he's had that level of match, and he mm-hmm. certainly does here. So, it's an awesome match. I mean, awesome, awesome match. I'm sure most people listening are very familiar with it. It's definitely a famous match in WWF canon uh, because, you know, these are two WWFE legends as well. So so that helps, too, in the retrospect. Like, you can look back, and I think that can kind of create the match more than what it was in the moment. You know, like, I don't think in the moment this felt like a game changer, but, right. you know, it, it Certainly was just a amazing, incredible match. Yeah, so it was a match you knew was awesome even as a kid at this point. Right, like I, right. I remember like this match is insane. <laughs> yeah. Like it stood out. And it, it was a star made of mankind. Like he was already a star. This, this showed like, okay, he can hang. He's not just like doing gimmick shit or brawling with Undertaker. Like he can go out there and work, you know? Yeah. Um, that was great. It was an awesome match to end the show. And it's funny because we were, we were kind of down on the show coming in. Oh, yeah. We were down in the hype, and it ended up really, you know, delivering a, a very strong paper. Oh yeah, they even, needed this. Show. The down stuff was quick, in you know, and yeah, it 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 hit. Yeah, they needed this show. Like King of the Ring was a very good show, mm-hmm. um, but you know, International Incident I thought was okay, like decent to good. You were a little higher. I, I thought SummerSlam was disappointing. So, I mean, on, on their, all, all in all, like, this year on pay-per-view, like, WWF hasn't been terrible. Um, but, to me, they really need this show because now they're up against WCW where they're losing in the ratings big time. Mm-hmm. They're uh, getting beat handily, uh, kind of quality-wise, on the pay-per-views the past few months. And the build specifically for this show felt so dead and lifeless that I don't think you could have ever expected to have a show as right. good as this one based on what we saw coming in. Well, and the funny thing is the best stuff wasn't really even um, part of the hype. Like, yeah, Sean Mick was, but we didn't get a lot of build. The ECW nope. stuff wasn't part of the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we kind of talked about the Pillman segment, but they didn't really explain that Austin was going to be there. You know what I mean? So it was like, oh, yeah. All the hype stuff really 
didn't deliver, <laughs> deliver as much as it was no. kind of the on the fly pieces plus the main event just really over delivered. I think everyone knew it might be a have the potential to be a really good match, but uh, maybe more in line with the Sean Vader, Sean Bullock type stuff, right? Like, would you have been shocked if they rolled out and had like a three and a three quarter match or something? Yeah, like that? I mean that would have yeah. been fine for what it was in the mm-hmm. spot. Like, but yeah, they went way above that. Yeah. Do you think Mankind should have won the belt here? Uh, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting in retrospect. Um, I mean, we know Sid wins. I'm mm-hmm. interested to see how that works. Um. And we know that's a big pop at a big moment. So, but we also kind of know the rain is kind of worthless. So, it's like, you know, like, I kind of had winning here and then dropping it to Taker like Survivor Series have been better. Do you think there's any way they could have held off? Like, I think they definitely wanted the Buried Alive to be its own thing to sell mm-hmm. that much pay per view and the Halloween aesthetic of it. But. And, yeah, you'd had to change the finish, too. I was going to say, like, do you think there's any way they could have, like, blown off Mankind Taker for the belt as Buried Alive at WrestleMania? Like, that would have been just a lot going on. Yeah, Um, I don't think you could have made it. I mean, unless you have Foley as champion win the Buried Alive match, Taker goes away for a while. You know, maybe, and there's a different people fully could fight. You could have done a Sean rematch at Survivor uh-huh. Series. You could have turned Vader, do something with Vader. You got Sid versus Mankind. Brett comes back. You could do Brett Mankind at a pay per view. Um, so there's like different things you could have done to take her beating Mankind at Mania. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's an, I think it's an interesting thing. Um, I, they just had never really went with a heel though, with that extended long reign beside Yoko. So, and I think and the things was... you lose may not be worth it. Like you lose the Sid moment, which is awesome, and then you, right. you know, fully winning now means the moment later like doesn't happen, mm-hmm. and that's like an all timer. So that's true too. Like losing that um, would be tough because this wouldn't right. have been. I mean, this would have been memorable, but probably not. Not like that. like that was, yeah. Right. The so. years of him trying to get there meant more. Yeah, I guess in retro, I mean, I, I think we'll probably end up having to have the conversation when he loses to Sid, but right. I mean, I, I think the problem with that is like you, we talked about before, like you could see Sean losing it because it just, it kind of felt mm-hmm. like it was time. Like it didn't, I don't know. It just didn't feel like this was somebody that needed to have like a year, year and a half reign. But, I mean, plus at this point, I guess they were building to Sean Brett. Like, that was the plan right now, so. Look, he doesn't have anything going on. Like, even heading into Survivor Series, like, that's not, as we'll see, I don't think it's, like, much of a feud, you know? Like, he hasn't really had a feud since, I mean, even Vader, to me, wasn't much of a feud. Like, Vader just beat him, and then they fought at SummerSlam because Vader beat him at an international incident. Like, the Bulldog, Diesel and Bulldog are really the only two guys he's, like, actually feuded with, you know what I mean? Um, since then, he's just been kind of a champion defending. Yeah, I'd probably maybe give Vader the nod, but I certainly didn't think this. Yeah, this was not like. But you could say that about. was even more Cornette than Vader, you know? Mm, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Not wrong. So. All right, let's get to our awards uh, before we wrap things up here. We'll do our show awards, and then we'll do our September pay-per-view awards as well. Okay. Uh, match of the night, 
probably one of the easiest ones we've ever done. Obviously, Mankind versus Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. For the moment, uh, I give this to the ECW Invasion. Uh, that or the promo. Um, yeah, I kind of split so. the awards. I kind of split it. So I went, I went ECW Invasion for the moment. And then I gave the MVP to Pillman Hart and Austin, all three of them, okay. to recognize their work in the promo. Yeah, so I'm definitely giving the MVP to Foley, um, Mankind. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with ECW Evasion 2. Um, it's kind of tough not to go with the shit, man. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do ECW Evasion. I think Austin will get best moments probably a million a times lot. when it's all yeah. said and done. Yeah. All right, commentary lines. I, di- I didn't take much note. I just had uh, Vince called the Core State Center an absolutely magnificent edifice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> edifice. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I think as we talked about, I thought this was a pretty good night for the mm-hmm. WWF commentary. So that, that was good. At one point, like uh, after they show Mero and Farouk on the Superstar line, like they cut to perfect to get his prediction and. He's like, I think it's going to be for Rook. <laughs> you know, just flats <laughs> out said it. And then also when Sonny was kind of like uh, leaving Bart or leaving Billy and they were chasing after, I thought commentary was strong there too. Yeah. No, everyone had a good night. I really feel like they, the pressure of WCW and also being in ECW's hometown, like they all raised their game a bit. Like they knew it couldn't have another King of the Ring 95 where they came into Philly and dropped a fucking bomb right. and like a boot out of there. Like, I think those memories are still fresh. And I think they thought like, we can't do this again and get humiliated on pay-per-view. But yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, that was what, 15 months ago yep. from this show. So it's still pretty fresh, you know? Well, and it shows you like, even though it feels like we're in the doldrums, Compare this show to that show. Like, we've come a long way. The talent. The talent's there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we've always talked about it. Like, they have the talent there. It's just putting it together. So. All right. Shots fired. I just went with Vince kind of taking shots at ECW, I guess. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Debuts. We had Polly Dangerously, Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, Razor Ramon, and Diesel um, all making debuts. Ah, big, big night for debuts. Uh, no dropped angles that I noticed, and I no. guess the fake Sean Hissy fit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would kind of put that as like a quasi one. Yep. All right, final grade. Uh, I went seven out of ten. I mean, it's it's a really good show. It's it's a quick watch. It's an easy watch. The main event takes up a huge chunk of it, and it's an all time classic. The Pillman promo was great. Um, and the rest was fine. Like even the even the stuff again that kind of stunk was was short. So and yeah. then the ECW stuff. Yeah, seven out of ten for me. Again, yeah, echo what you said. Really good show. Stuff mm-hmm. that wasn't good was short. So thumbs up all the way. Yeah, we'll see how this uh, rolls into Raw if at all. Like, is it? Do we get any good vibes coming off of this, or is it a flash? You know. Right. Um, all right, let's get to our combo awards. Uh, as good as this was, it's still not as good as Fall Brawl, sadly, for them. <laughs> yeah. So Fall Brawl wins uh, for the month. But, you know, it was a, it was closer than you may think for this for this one month. So Right. Uh, but I do think uh, Michael's Mankind is the best match. So that's that's a rare uh, match. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, best segment. Do we want to go with... Um, well, what do we have for the one... Was it the Sting stuff? Uh, uh, Sting's arrival. So it's it's the ECW invasion, the Pillman promo, or Sting's arrival as like our three options. Mm, are you feeling uh, lean? 
I don't want to be a slave to the moment. Um, the Sting arrival was a cool moment, but you knew he was going to be there. The fake Sting was kind of obvious. Um, I don't know. The ECW invasion was like so different. It's different, but I, I it's, think it's not we got to think like, yeah, yeah. long term. That's the thing. Yeah. Now, the Pillman thing is important long term because yep. Austin lays the yep. foundation. So I'm fine going with that if you want to go with that over Sting. Well, let's go for that then. Neither. Okay. All right. So Austin, Pillman, Owen. Okay. Uh, better commentary. Are we going WCW or did you like this? In your house enough. To- I would still go WCW. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Uh, they were both good, though. All right. Star of the night. Um, so you went Mankind. I yeah. went Triumvirate. And on Fall Brawl, we went Sting. Yeah. To me, it's got to be either Mankind or Sting. Um, I would probably go Mankind, actually. Yeah. I think so. It was a bigger star maker. Uh, ratings winner Fall Brawl, I'm sure, had the better buy rate. Yeah, so the the uh, buy rate, I had that. Uh, 0.65 for Fall Brawl, which is up a little bit from uh, Hog Wild. And let me see, was that up? Was Hog Wild up from Bash at the Beach? I don't believe it was, right? No. Uh, so Bash at the Beach was 0.71. So, yeah, this is 0.65, so pretty close. I mean, they're pretty close to Bash at the Beach. And then uh, Mind Games, 0.48, which is not great. Uh, it's better than International Incident, but uh, SummerSlam was 0.58. So, I mean, really not a huge drop from SummerSlam, but it's just where they kind are. of they're expected. Just kind of yeah, I mean, I would say actually 0.48 for the build we've seen isn't is awful, but... You know, not amazing, certainly either. Uh, all right, so hey, it's look, this is maybe the best that it's done in a combo award, especially pay per view wise, in a while. Uh, they and, took on best match, best segment, um, you know, star of the night. Like, that's pretty good. Yep. And this is another sneaky month with two really good pay per views. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't think about it. We talked right. about it in June. Uh, but this one I think is not obvious at all, and it, yep. it is, it is. So, that up. I, I mean, we haven't really had a bad pay per view since what Slambury. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Slambury beware. I mean, May was rough between right. beware dog and Slambury. Because um, even International Incident wasn't like terrible. Yeah, either. I mean, I don't think International Incident is good, but it's like a five, five and a half. So yeah, we haven't had a bad pay per view in a while now. All right, so that'll wrap it for us. We'll be back in two weeks. We're going to talk the fallout from this show, which is a pretty infamous Raw <laughs> we'll get into. Uh, it's a big one, the 923. And then Nitro will continue to, you know, the slow march toward Halloween Havoc. we got a ways to go, but lots of stuff happening here, of course, as well. So smell that napalm. Continue to check out everything at the North-South Connection. We appreciate your support. We'll talk to you soon. I'm a fool to do your dirty work, oh yeah, I don't want to do your dirty work no more, I'm a fool to do your dirty work, oh yeah.
Oh yeah.